Chapter Sixteen of The English Governess at the Siamese Court by Anna H. Leonowens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The White Elephant. It is commonly supposed that the Buddhists of Siam and Burma regard the Changpuk or white elephant as a deity and worship it accordingly the notion is erroneous especially as it relates to siam the buddhists do not recognize god in any material form whatever and are shocked at the idea of adoring an elephant even buddha to whom they undoubtedly offer pious homage they do not style god but on the contrary maintain that though an emanation from a sublimated ethereal being he is by no means a deity according to their philosophy of metempsychosis however each successive buddha in passing through a series of transmigrations must necessarily have occupied in turn the forms of white animals of a certain class particularly the swan the stork the white sparrow the dove the monkey and the elephant but there is much obscurity and diversity in the views of their ancient writers on this subject. Only one thing is certain, that the forms of these nobler and purer creatures are reserved for the souls of the good and great, who find in them a kind of redemption from the baser animal life. Thus almost all white animals are held in reverence by the Siamese, because they were once superior human beings, and the white elephant, in particular, is supposed to be animated by the spirit of some king or hero. Having once been a great man, he is thought to be familiar with the dangers that surround the great, and to know what is best and safest for those whose condition in all respects was once his own. He is hence supposed to avert national calamity, and bring prosperity and peace to a people." From the earliest times the kings of Siam and Burma have anxiously sought for the white elephant, and having had the rare fortune to procure one, have loaded it with gifts and dignities, as though it were a conscious favorite of the throne. When the governor of a province of Siam is notified of the appearance of a white elephant within his bailiwick, he immediately commands that prayers and offerings shall be made in all the temples, while he sends out a formidable expedition of hunters and slaves to take the precious beast and bring it in in triumph. As soon as he is informed of its capture, a special messenger is dispatched to inform the king of its sex, probable age, size, complexion, deportment, looks, and ways, and in the presence of his majesty this bearer of glorious tidings undergoes the painfully pleasant operation of having his mouth, ears, and nostrils stuffed with gold. Especially is the lucky wit, perhaps some half-wild woodsman, who was first to spy the illustrious monster, munificently rewarded. Orders are promptly issued to the wounds and vonces of the several districts through which he must pass to prepare to receive him royally, and a wide path is cut for him through the forests he must traverse on his way to the capital. Wherever he rests, he is sumptuously entertained, and everywhere he is escorted and served by a host of attendants, who sing, dance, play upon instruments, 
and perform feats of strength or skill for his amusement, until he reaches the banks of the Mainam, where a great floating palace of wood, surmounted by a gorgeous roof and hung with crimson curtains, awaits him. The roof is literally thatched with flowers, ingeniously arranged, so as to form symbols and mottoes, which the superior beast is supposed to decipher with ease. The floor of this splendid float is laid with gilt matting curiously woven, in the centre of which his four-footed lordship is installed in state, surrounded by an obsequious and enraptured crowd of mere bipeds, who bathe him, perfume him, fan him, feed him, sing and play to him, flatter him. His food consists of the finest herbs, the tenderest grass, the sweetest sugar-cane, the mellowest plantains, the brownest cakes of wheat, served on huge trays of gold and silver, and his drink is perfumed with the fragrant flower of the Dokmali, the large native jasmine. Thus, in more than princely state, he is floated down the river to a point within seventy miles of the capital, where the king and his court, all the chief personages of the kingdom, and a multitude of priests, both Buddhist and Brahmin, accompanied by troops of players and musicians, come out to meet him, and conduct him with all the honours to his stable palace. A great number of cords and ropes of all qualities and lengths are attached to the raft, those in the centre being of fine silk, figuratively spun from a spider's web. These are for the king and his noble retinue, who with their own hands make them fast to their girded barges, the rest are secured to the great fleet of lesser boats. And so, with shouts of joy, beating of drums, blare of trumpets, boom of cannon, and hallelujah of music, and various splendid revelry, the great Chang Pook is conducted in triumph to the capital. Here in a pavilion, temporary but very beautiful, he is welcomed with imposing ceremonies by the custodians of the palace and the principal personages of the royal household the king, his courtiers, and the chief priests, being gathered round him, thanksgiving is offered up, and then the lordly beast is knighted, after the ancient manner of the Buddhists, by pouring upon his forehead consecrated water from a chang-shell. The titles reserved for the chang-pook vary according to the purity of the complexion, for these favoured creatures are rarely true albinos, salmon or flesh-colour being the nearest approach to white, in almost all the historic white elephants of the courts of Birma and Siam, and the sex, for though one naturally has recourse to the masculine pronoun in writing of a transmigrated prince or warrior, it often happens that prince or warrior has, in the medlier mask of metapsychosis, assumed a female form. Such, in fact, was the case with the stately occupant of the stable palace at the court of Mahamongut, and she was distinguished by the high-sounding appellation of Ma Fiaseri Vongsa Ditsara Krasat, August and Glorious Mother, descendant of kings and heroes. For seven or nine days, according to certain conditions, the Chang Pook is fêted at the temporary pavilion and entertained with a variety of dramatic performances, and these days are observed as a general holiday throughout the land. At the expiration of this period, he is conducted with great pomp to his sumptuous quarters within the precincts of the first king's palace, 
where he is received by his own court of officers, attendants, and slaves, who install him in his fine lodgings, and at once proceed to robe and decorate him. First the court jeweler rings his tremendous tusks with massive gold, crowns him with a diadem of beaten gold of perfect purity, and adorns his burly neck with heavy golden chains. Next, his attendants robe him in a superb velvet cloak of purple, fringed with scarlet and gold, and then his court prostrates themselves around him, and offer him royal homage. When his lordship would refresh his portly person in the bath, an officer of high rank shelters his noble head with a great umbrella of crimson and gold, while others have golden fans before him. On these occasions he is invariably preceded by musicians, who announce his approach with cheerful minstrelsy and songs. If he falls ill, the king's own leech prescribes for him, and the chief priests repair daily to his palace to pray for his safe deliverance, and sprinkle him with consecrated waters, and anoint him with consecrated oils. Should he die, all Siam is bereaved, and the nation, as one man, goes into mourning for him. But his body is not burned, only his brains and heart are thought worthy of that last and highest honor. The carcass, shrouded in fine white linen, and laid on a bier, is carried down the river with much wailing and many mournful dirges, to be thrown into the Gulf of Siam. In 1862, a magnificent white, or rather salmon-colored elephant, was badged, and preparations on a gorgeous scale were made to receive him. A temporary pavilion of extraordinary splendor sprang up, as if by magic, before the eastern gate of the palace, and the whole nation was wild with joy, when suddenly came awful tidings he had died. No man dared tell the king. But the Kralahumi, the man of prompt expedience and unfailing presence of mind, commanded that the preparations should cease instantly, and that the building should vanish with the builders. In the evening his majesty came forth as usual, to exult in the glorious work. What was his astonishment to find no vestige of the splendid structure that had been so nearly completed the night before? He turned, bewildered to his courtiers, to demand an explanation, when suddenly the terrible truth flashed into his mind. With a cry of pain, he sank down upon a stone, and gave vent to an hysterical passion of tears, but was presently consoled by one of his children, who, carefully prompted in his part, kneeled before him and said, Weep not, O my father, the stranger lord may have left us, but for a time. The stranger lord, fatally pampered, had succumbed to astonishment and indigestion. A few days after this mournful event, the king read to me a curious description of the defunct monster, and showed me parts of his skin preserved, and his tusks, which in size and whiteness surpassed the finest I had ever seen. His, that is, the elephant's eyes, were light blue, surrounded by salmon color, his hair fine, soft, and white, his complexion pinkish-white, his tusks like long pearls, his ears like silver shields, his trunk like a comet's tail, his legs like the feet of the skies, his tread like the sound of thunder, his looks full of meditation, his expression full of tenderness, 
his voice the voice of a mighty warrior, and his bearing that of an illustrious monarch. That was a terrible affliction, to the people not less than to the king. On all occasions of state, court receptions for example, the white elephant, gorgeously arrayed, is stationed on the right of the inner gate of the palace, and forms an indispensable as well as a conspicuous figure in the picture. When the Siamese ambassadors returned from England, the chief of the embassy, a man remarkable for his learning and the purity of his character, who was also first cousin to the supreme king, published a quaint pamphlet describing England and her people, their manners and customs and dwellings, with a very particular report of the presentation of the embassy at court. Speaking of the personal appearance of Queen Victoria, he says, One cannot but be struck with the aspect of the august Queen of England, or fail to observe that she must be of pure descent from a race of goodly and warlike kings and rulers of the earth, in that her eyes, complexion, and above all her bearing, are those of a beautiful and majestic white elephant. End of chapter 16